Welcome, everybody, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. Thanks for the download. want to remind you that uh, Baseball America now has a mobile version. It's been out for a few months. It's uh, Mobile Baseball America. You can check out the Mobile Baseball America on your mobile device. Type in BaseballAmerica.com on your mobile browser and get the latest Baseball America news. You also can have your digital edition. Uh, we've got a lot of different ways to digest Baseball America as 2011 ends and turns to 2012. Just in time for our Mayan disaster, there are millions of ways that you can digest Baseball America. And our content, JJ, and the podcast is one of them, of course. And and one of the things, well, speaking of content, we're we're very happy here. It's, oh yeah, uh, speaking of content, it's December twenty second, and we can say happily that the prospect handbook has been sent to the printer. Now, it's the reason that we haven't had a podcast in a couple of weeks, and uh, the, we've the, been kind the, of hunkered down. Yeah, and it's the reason that uh, Jim Callis's Twitter has been quiet uh, for the most part. But I think the last time we had a podcast was right after the Rule Five draft. With you and Matt Eddy, so we're going to give you one last podcast for 2011, and ter- before we flip it into, into 2012, I think our next podcast actually will probably be from Anaheim with uh, Nathan Rohde and Aaron Fitt wrapping up the college baseball news from the American Baseball Coaches Association Convention, and then we'll come back with your American League East podcast and, and wrap those up, but uh, JJ, we're going to talk National League West, po- uh, top 10s, uh, obviously all the top 30s are done for the handbook. We're going to stick to the top tens, uh, you know, wait till the handbook comes out to, to do a big handbook podcast. But the, the National League West has been active since the winter meetings with a couple of big trades. Uh, the last trade that made it into the handbook, uh, the last transaction in the handbook, which was the Diamondbacks trade, uh, trading Jared Parker. Right. To we will the, give you on here, we will give you a, a, an update to let you know what the, the top ten is post-trade. Right, and then we had obviously the Padres. So a lot of has gone on with the National League West. Matt That's Lailer, timely. Trade to the Reds. We'll also talk some you Darvish, by the way, uh, on this podcast. But let's start off with the Diamondbacks, JJ, because um, when the issue went to press, um, you had Jared Parker at number four. And Jared Parker, I think, is an interesting way to start talking about the Diamondback system because uh, he'd been number one in the system for several years, including one year where he was number one, even though he didn't pitch, basically, uh, with Tommy John surgery. Um, so he'd been number one since 2009, 2010, 2011. Now for this one, he moved down. He had moved down to number four. I think it just tells you just how much better their system has gotten over the last couple of years. This is a team and a franchise that won at the major league level and got better in the farm system at the same time, which is difficult to do. Why do you think uh, Depoto has a a new job now? That's it's, right. It's, that's that's one of the reasons. Is that because he really did a good job in his time as an interim GM. But Jared Parker is you could make an argument is a better prospect right now than he was a year ago. That's possible. You could definitely argue because that. Because a year ago, he was essentially coming off of TJ, and right. the, the unknown was there. Correct. A lot more unknown than there is now. Whereas now, he had a solid year. It wasn't a spectacular, but it was a very solid year, so it showed that his stuff is, is largely back. Right. So... You could make that argument that he's a little better right now than he was, at, you know, at this time last year when it was like, well, he had a good instructs. Which, right. Again, right. As we've always said, you don't hear a whole lot of guys having a bad instructs. That, that's almost akin to showing up at spring training in the best shape of your life. Right. You know, the good instructs is the the organization version of that. Yeah, he had a bad year, but he had a good instructs. You know, but um, but you look at him and 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 he was number four because they they brought in a lot of they've they've. Acquired through trade, through draft, through different ways, they have a, whole, a lot of interesting pitching now. Yeah, I think that Tyler Skaggs would have been a number one prospect in 
the majority of organizations. I don't know if I, I will say at least 16 without going through them all. To me, Tyler Skaggs is better than most teams' top prospects. I mean, he's better than like some good farm system's top prospects. I mean, the Reds are a good farm system. Tyler Skaggs versus Devin Mesrocco, that's going to be a push. That's very close. You know, there's some, I think there's some organizations that would rather have Mesrocco because of the position scarcity, and there are others that would have Skaggs, a left hander who was third in the, what was he, fourth in the minor league in strikeouts? I mean, most years you lead the minor leagues with 198 strikeouts. We just happen to have three guys with 200 strikeouts in the minor leagues this year, and he's number three. You know, Archie Bradley, in a lot of years, Archie Bradley's the top high school uh, right-handed pitcher in the draft class. Yeah, this year he wasn't even and the best has, one in the state. From everything we've heard, he did have a great instruction. And we've heard, we have heard massive uh, buzz on his instructional league that he was dominant. Trevor Bauer, in most years, he's the top college pitcher drafted. This year he was the third. You know, he's our college pitcher, college player of the year. So they had a great draft with Bauer and uh, Bradley. They had a tremendous uh, year in a trade acquisition like Tyler Skaggs. So that's why a guy like Jared Parker comes back from Tommy John surgery and falls. Now I think, J.J., they leveraged him in a trade for a pitcher who's only love, eight months older and got a, a, you know, an established big leaguer in Trevor Cahill. I, I love that trade for the, for the Diamondbacks because – I do too. If realistically what you're hoping, if you're the A's, the hope with Parker is that Parker gives you what Cahill was giving you but does it for – the next six years. I think Parker will actually probably have a more consistent year than Trevor Cahill just because he's more of a strikeout guy, less of a ground ball guy. I do think that Cahill will miss uh, some of the defense that was behind him in in, in Oakland. I, I think you know, I like Cliff Pennington as a shortstop. Defensively, I'd take Pennington over Stephen Drew. Uh, I'd probably take Jamile Weeks over Aaron Hill. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. The infield for Arizona with Drew and Hill and uh, you know, Paul Goldschmidt, Ryan Roberts. That's not a goal. There's not a Gold Glover there, so no. we'll see how that plays. But I still think that Trevor Cahill is not just going to be a, just a ground ball guy his whole career. He, he's athletic. He's young. He's got a big arm. And, I really like Trevor Cahill. And let's uh, be honest, the other two pieces that the uh, you know the Diamondbacks gave up are are really are they're fungible. Are, they're nice secondary pieces. But if I'll put it this way, if Colin Calgo gets 500 at bats this year for the A's, that's Nothing is Colin Calgo, but that's probably not a good sign for the A's. Colin Calgo's upside, his best case scenario is a Cody Ross career. And he gets compared to Ross a lot because of their size and because they're both bats right, throws left guys. But I think that's a good comp. Um, and I don't think he's as toolsy as Cody Ross. He has a chance to be a more consistent hitter, but he's not as toolsy as Cody Ross, and he's not as much of a center fielder. In his career, Ross has played a lot of center. So Calgo's kind of a poor man's Cody Ross. I mean, he wasn't in the Diamondbacks' top ten. He's easily in the top ten for the Athletics, so, uh, which obviously hasn't come out yet. You know, We'll have it out. Uh, they're one of the last ones, and Jim Schoenert will chat about them probably at the end of January. Um, but, yeah, Colin Calgill's safely in their top ten. And Ryan Cook's kind of an extra arm. He instantly becomes one of the better arms in the Athletics farm system. So I, I like that trade. I think the Diamondbacks, J.J., are clearly the best farm system in the National League West. Oh, I think. And and the interesting thing about that is, is there's not a whole lot of position player talent right now, you know, in that in that system. But that's okay. Because Once you graduate a Goldschmidt, there's you know, a guy with you know that kind of power. There really isn't a lot of. But big league ready, especially I would say. Uh, you know, AJ Pollock is polished and can help them in the major leagues in 2012 in the second half if need be. But that's really about it for, but for big league have, ready. But I mean, we just talked about. We just talked about three pitchers who are still in the system. We talked about a fourth who's not. And we could still talk about pitching after that. 
is the thing oh, that yeah. jumps out. Like, I like David Holmberg. David Holmberg is yep. a very interesting guy. You know, Pat Corbin is an interesting guy. There's there are other guys in that organization that you say, okay, that guy has a chance to do something. Yeah, the intriguing guy for me, I think we probably should be done with the Diamondbacks soon. Is the intriguing guy for me is Chris Owings in their system. Big strikeout to walk issues, big pitch recognition issues. It looks like at this stage, but he's a young, toolsy, mill the diamond player. Um, I'll be fascinated to watch his progress. I like Chris Owings. I like them out of high school. Um, he's a big key for 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 me because he's really like the the mill the diamond prospect who stands out in the Diamondbacks organization with upside, and they don't have a a whole lot of other guys like that. Um, you know, the other big I guess farm system that we should talk about the, the next best farm system in the in the division, and the other team that was heavily involved in the trade, JJ, was the Padres. You know, the Padres, uh, and we talked about this on the on the Baseball America show last Sunday on SiriusXM. You know, the Padres make this trade where they trade Matt Latos for Yonder Alonso, Yasmani Grandal, um, uh, Brad Boxberger, and Edinson Volquez. Um, pretty Which, intriguing trade. You are a Reds guy. Where and, would you slot those prospects in, in, and, in the Padres and, and system? Let me say, like, post that trade... Now, if you're talking, what's the top farm system in in the division? It's a much more, it's a much closer battle. It is much closer. I still like the Diamondbacks better, but I think it's a lot closer after that trade because Yonder Alonso is a big league ready. He could Bat. be a star. He could yeah. be a star. I, I think. I think it's more likely to be a above average offensive first baseman. And by that, I mean like I don't know if he'll be a star because star at first base. The the bar to be a star at first base is pretty high. It is high. I agree. He will be a better hitter. That was a good Susie in sentence too. The bar to be a star, but he he will be a better hitter. Draw more, you know, good on base, good at batting average. I think than most than most NL first basemen. I think. Yeah, I think I think I think we were ranking our prospects in the handbook and we were lining them up by position. He's the best minor league. He's the best first baseman who's eligible in the book. Uh, it was basically him, Anthony Rizzo, who was already a Padre, and Jonathan Singleton were the first, the top three guys. And I think our office consensus would be Alonzo. I think the industry consensus would be Alonzo. There are some similarities between uh, Yonder Alonzo and Adrian Gonzalez. Adrian Gonzalez, you know, like Adrian, like uh, Yonder Alonzo, was kind of blocked in his original farm system because he was a Ranger, and the Rangers already had Mark Teixeira. He play, played some outfield, even in the big leagues, not very well. Can't run, an athletic. Um, a lot of similarities to Yonder Alonso and was thought of a hit first, power second guy. I'm not saying that Yonder Alonso is going to turn into Adrian Gonzalez in terms of that power, but I wouldn't be shocked if Yonder Alonso turned into that kind of player, turned into a star. I really wouldn't be shocked. I don't expect it to happen because there's nothing in his track record yet that indicates he's going to hit for big power, but it wouldn't stun me if he did it because um, he has that kind of hit ability and. Uh, you know, I, I think he's the better fit in Petco Park at first base than Anthony Rizzo is. Um, what, what? I guess the one thing that we ran into JJ at the winter meetings were some scouts who had pro coverage of the Padres organization and said they didn't see a star in the Padres farm system. I'm not banging on Matt Eddy here, but I, I would say if Matt does our Padres, does them every year. I would have ranked Reimer Liriano number one in the Padres organization. He had Anthony Rizzo. There are yeah. good reasons to and do Anthony say, Rizzo. And, and the thing about it is, is that, that is, is that, and this is one of the things to remember for all our top ten. Yeah. I, the rankings, I understand. If you're looking at these, the rankings are important. You go, why is this guy? Oh, I had that guy one, that guy two. Yeah. Sometimes the difference between one and two or three and four is, is 
very minuscule, and sometimes it's massive. Sometimes it's like, well, that's clearly number one, and the next guy, if I was doing the top 100, that guy would be 50 spots below. Right. Other times you do it, and it's like, you know, on my personal top 50, I, I do the Royals, and Mike Montgomery, Bubba Starling. Personally, I have Mike Montgomery ahead of Bubba Starling. Well, but when I did a top 50... The next guy on my list was Bubba Starling. Right. They were that close together. And we talked to Royals people uh, at the winter meetings who were like, well, I could see Will Myers being number one there. So they have three legitimate number one candidates, and that's a, that's a good problem to have. I think the Padres have three legitimate number one candidates now with Alonzo, Rizzo, Liriano. This, to me, Grun- Liriano has the highest ceiling, but he's clearly the furthest away as well. And Grandal's a really good number four at this point. I think so, too. I, I think so, too. And uh, – the Padres, are, as an organization, are stockpiling some catching where they have a decent big league young catcher in Hundley. They have a guy's a double A catcher in Yasmani Grandal, who you expect to be a double A, triple A guy. I mean, triple A this year. I mean, he's been all year, most all, second half of the season at double A net last year. I would expect he'd be a triple A this year. Right. And then you're talking about a guy in Austin Hedges that they just gave $3 million to. So I don't think they miss Brett Austin. They, they are going to miss Brett Austin, their supplemental first round pick catcher, whom they didn't sign. They're set, I think, a catcher at the big league level. They have a good high-level prospect and a lower-level prospect they like a lot. The thing that we, I think we've talked about that we both like about the Padres system is depth of yeah. the Padres system is very impressive. Now, they, if you They go, have a lot of different options, and they have prospects at most positions who are interesting. The criticism pre-trade, you know, when we heard criticism of the Padres, as you talked about, talking to the winter meetings to people, it's that, okay – They've got a lot of guys. There are a lot of guys who could be solid players. Right. Now, that can that can work for a team, but the thing about it is is that, okay, do you have stars to – if those guys end up being just solid players, which, I mean, let's be honest, the majority of players in who are prospects at any time right. aspire right. to be a solid, solid big, big leaguer. leaguers. yeah. But do you have stars to kind of – that worked very well for the Cardinals on their way to the World Series because – if you have Albert Pujols, correct, you know, and really, and if you have Yadier Molina, who's an above-average catcher, oh no doubt, you put those two, and, and you, you have, have stars on the mound. You have Carpenter, right? If you do that, you can have a lot of solid players, and everything works. If you had a question to me with the Padres, is okay. So how many, how many impact guys do they have in the big leagues right now? I think the biggest question for them, I, oh, impact in the big leagues right now, uh, Cam Maben. That's potential, yeah. Um, I he think got he's, a really solid year last year. Yeah, I think he had a very good year. I mean, what, he steal 40 bags? Right. Uh, I, I think Cameron Maven's an, an impact player. I'm not sure they have another potential one, to be honest with you. I, and, I, that's, and that's, to me, where... That's their issue. That's where this trade, though, makes a lot of sense for them, because you look forward if... Well, for one, they now have a trade chip. Right. Now... One of those first basemen. One of those first basemen. Now, one of those things is that... We first base prospects. Yeah, that trade chip's not as shiny as it may appear to be. They 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 learned that with Kyle Blanks. I mean, they had Kyle Blanks when he had some supposedly had some value, and they had Adrian Gonzalez at the time, and yeah, they didn't get anything for Kyle Blanks, and they're not going to get anything for Jesus Guzman, who was their second best offensive player last year, or their best after Maben. So yeah. Well, look at it this way. I mean, really, their best trade chip in the big leagues would be either Maben, who I don't think they want to trade, or Headley. You know, Chase Headley at third base. But, but look at it this way. When we hear rumors of, you know, guys on the market, guys potentially being traded and all, right now, I, the best way I can put it is is that right now, we talked about this a little bit on the XM show as well. If you said, okay, my team needs a shortstop, 
Who right now at, at this point, you know, basically a couple of days before Christmas, who you're you're in desperate need of a shortstop. Who are you going to go get? Those teams went out and those teams that were like that went out and got Alex Gonzalez and Unesky right. Betancourt because yeah, there's no one out there. And if you want to make a trade for a shortstop, there's almost no one out there. But if you said right now, my team is in desperate need of a first baseman, we're you know, we've already seen our pool hole sign a massive, massive contract. Right. But right now Prince Fielder's gonna sign one. Prince Fielder's gonna sign one. If you want if you need to go big money, you can go Prince Fielder. But you know what? If that doesn't work for you, oh we can't do that. You still have multiple options out right. there to fill a spot at first base, and that's why you just don't get as much trade value for a first baseman is because of that. Right. I think the other thing that may, has made the Padres system a pretty deep system, even though they they have this uh, overload, maybe you'd say, of first baseman, is they do have prospects elsewhere on the diamond. They've got guys up the middle from this year's draft. I think I like that. That would be the issue is that they don't, maybe don't have guys at upper levels. But I like Corey Spangenberg. I like Jace Peterson as upside. Middle of the diamond guys with some speed, some athleticism, left-handed bats. They profile very well up the middle. We, we, when we were working on the handbook, we, it jumped out. It's like, you know, there's there's very rarely are there a whole lot of second-base prospects. But right. because of that, you look at it, and Spangerberg is he, he's up there at the top, near the top of the list. He is. He is near the top of the list. I like their young pitching. I like the Mike Adams trade, I, Joe Weiland, Robbie Erlin. I think that we're probably bucking uh, most prospect services or writers you see out there that we like Joe Weiland better than Robbie Erlin. I think Joe Weiland gets so little short. On his fastball, JJ, you did a lot, our Carolina League list. Both those guys were in the Carolina League this uh, this year, and there's probably there's a split camp on those two right. guys. In there. Remember when we were talking though, we were talking about like, well, you could do this guy, you could do this guy. With those two, I, I think it's very close as well. Because yeah. If you if you like Erlin, he's left-handed. Right. He has a little bit, you know, I I would say even a little bit better feel for pitching. That's nothing taken away from Joe Joe Island. That's you know, but just that's like, tough. I don't know. I don't know if I even say that. I think it, maybe it's you look for it more when you're looking at a small left-hander so he gets more credit maybe for it but i mean it's no like i i just feel like Wyland has to, better control no and i'm not saying control but i'm saying feel for pitching as i'm talking about setting up hitters right i'm talking about that reading swings and that i'm kind talking of about having talked to you know pitching coaches who've had both of them and all that and that's nothing against you know that's that's just that means that robbie erlin has great feel great robbie erlin that's the thing that i've heard since they were in the sally league was right. robbie erlin just has this he he is he has an understanding of pitching that's multiple years ahead of of his age. Sure. Now, you could almost use that if you wanted to as a criticism of him, which is, okay, is his success going to wane a little bit as he gets? Because really, even though he's been young for the leagues, he's been an old pitcher from the standpoint of right. It's like a, like a guy who right exactly like an old player stats for a hitter. He kind of right. has those for a pitcher. And that's my real concern with him is that when he misses. He gives he up a lot of home runs. He gives up a lot of home runs because the reality of it is, is that his stuff is solid. But that's my my, my issue is that when he faces better hitters, they're going to make more consistent hard contact. And when lower although, level hitters are making contact, they're making hard contact against Robbie Erlin. Although, although I did look that up last year, the thing that it was true also with him is is that and if you really if you if you're one of the uh, Bill James readers of the '80s and all, he always had, he always called it the Tommy John approach, which is the guys who didn't strike a whole lot of guys out, and they gave up homer. You know, they they didn't walk guys. They gave up homers, right. but they didn't walk guys, and they didn't give up a whole lot of big innings. Robbie Erlin fit that pretty well. Oh, I yeah, gave through, up a ton of solo. Home gave runs. up a ton of solo home right. runs. Which, if you're going to give up home runs, give up the solo jobs. I mean that. 
Those don't. He didn't give up big innings doing it. He would. I guess the difference there is that he's doing it in a ball. Tommy yeah. John was doing it in the big leagues. A- absolutely. <laughs> that's that's right. where my concern comes. But in. no, there's there's concern with that. You know, whereas with with Wyland, I agree that his fastball is better than what people may think it is. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have reports that he was you know touching ninety four, ninety five in the uh, it's still, in, in, in the double in the Texas League playoffs, and that was in September. Right. It's still more likely. I would say if you want to say. You know, I'd say his fastball is probably more a 55 than anything more than that. Maybe yeah. 60 if you say because he locates it so well. But he locates so well, he does not walk anyone. Yeah, so I, I think he has a lot of the same strengths that Robbie Erlin has. A few more pluses, and the one thing he doesn't have is left-handedness. I, um, I'll say this. They're both going to be in a great park for them to pitch, which Petco will be a great place for them. Yeah, and I'm I, I'm also admitting I really like I've always liked uh, Wyland. I've always uh, I liked him in high school. Uh, report on him in high school, so I'm always going to be a little uh, biased, I guess you'd say, on Joe Wyland. So okay, so we've gotten the top two. <laughs> Who do you have as the third best system in that division? Uh, I've only got a couple other choices. I guess I would say it would be Colorado, just because uh, I do like the prospects they got in their trade, but. You know, it's pretty hard to say that there's a good farm system considering that their their lack of success in the first round and just, you know, the 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 crashing and burning of their recent draft picks like Tyler Matzik and Peter Tago. And uh, but I still I think I like their system a little bit better than San Francisco. You have at the Los top Angeles. end Pomeranz Arenado. That's a that's a it, it drops off pretty fi- quick. It's two top fifty guys right there. It drops off pretty quick after that. Yeah, I suppose it does. <laughs> I but, suppose it does when you're looking at the rest of their farms. Although I like Chad Bettis. I like Chad Battis quite a bit, so he's a, kind of always been a favorite of mine. But but I, I do think it's clear that I think there's a top two, and then the jump, you know, the, the gap from two to three. See, for me, is, Chad Bettis is a solid. No, no, no I'm not talking about Bettis. I'm talking about the team. Oh, you te- oh, organizations. Organizations. Oh, yeah. there's a, there's a, I wouldn't say it's a cliff, but it's a pretty steep decline. You're going from like the Rockies or the Appalachians. You know, you're going to some very high peaks to uh, the Rockies are are basically steady. You know, this is an organization that. It's one of the more college-heavy organizations in the draft. Um, really, the strength of the Rockies organization in the last five, seven years has been they drafted Troy Tulowitzki when six other teams passed on him, and that's pretty you know special. And then uh, Latin America. They've been very good in Latin America. Their drafts have not been as good. Uh, it's been a very conservative approach to the draft, and they're getting – a lot of times they've gotten one good player out of the draft, the Tulowitzki draft. They got one superstar. They didn't really get anything else out of that draft. Although you'll take that. If you I mean, you'll get, take you're, it. You're no, no say, doubt. If you get too low and nothing else, you do that, you'll do that again. No doubt. But when you're missing constantly on first-round picks, I'm not, I'm, not saying that, I'm not sure where the blame lies. If you're a Rockies fan, this is a story we'd like to try to report, but it's not an easy one to report. Um, why are they missing with domestic pitchers and not having a hard time developing Latin players? That, to me, points the finger at development, not scouting. And I think there's more evidence for that, J.J., when they've changed farm directors. Uh, they've changed minor league pitching coordinators. There's evidence there that they think the problem is development, not scouting. But when Christian Friedrich and Casey Weathers and Tyler Matzik and Peter Tago and Greg Reynolds, when all those guys falter, there's a pretty year good pattern year, of year. problems uh, with their top high draft pick pitchers. And I think to their credit, the Rockies are – trying to make some changes to see if they can make that situation better. But I, I like I mean, their system the, all right. The, I was going to say, that it's funny. This does seem to happen to teams. Like, there are teams that go through this, you know, again, doing the Reds. There was a time where 
if you said the words Reds pitching prospect, yeah. you had to follow it with who's on the DL and he hopes to be back a year from now. Yeah, back in the Ty Howington, Bobby Basham Chris era, those Ruler, kind of guys. That's you know, right. Like, yeah, I know have... you, there used to be the saying of, you know, well, what if the uh, Reds had drafted Scott Kazmer instead of Chris Gruler because they were, you know, teammates right. and all. It's like, well, actually what would have happened is, is that Scott Kazmer would have never made it. That's right. He would have gotten hurt in the minor <laughs> leagues first like, like uh, Gruler did. But, yeah, the Rockies have uh, two pitchers in their – uh, you know, we'll have three pitchers in their top ten. Uh, you know, Pomeranz they didn't draft. Bettis, who's been their one high-drafted pitcher in the last really six years, who's progressed well the way they wanted him to. Um, and then they have uh, T- Taylor Anderson, whom they just drafted this year. So, uh, Matzik, yeah, highest signing bonus in franchise history, I believe, and not in their top ten. And I, uh, I think, no way yeah. he deserved to be in it. I Friedrich mean, Tago, just a lot of other guys who've who've fallen off. And yet, meanwhile. A guy who's on their top ten, but Eduardo Cabrera led the minor leagues in strikeouts. Another example, of their Latin program. Where, I mean, I don't like his profile. I don't like the fastball changeup guy, guy with no breaking ball. But Eduardo Cabrera just keeps on doing it. He did it in the Northwest League, and then last year he did it at two A ball levels, and he's and one of those A ball levels is not an easy place to pitch. Right. Yeah, in the California League, absolutely. Uh, I would say Giants are next, JJ. Even though they're, it's it's not your, it's not your older brother's Giants farm system. Because it's not a pitching heavy but farm system. But we but that's fine because they're good on the pitching. They need they need to be a little position player heavy right now. Absolutely. I do think it's a nod to uh we I think give uh, organization of the Giants I give their their prospect pitchers more rope <laughs> than I give other because organizations. They have a track record of turning guys into in, I mean, even they if they struggle do. for a while they figure it out. I don't think Heath Hembry ranking third is a great sign. That it's a it's a guy with a very thin track record of success, but at the same time, I expect the Giants to get a lot out of Heath Hembry, a raw power arm, a guy who's hitting 98 consistently. The Ninja's gonna, you know, Dick Tidrow will get every ounce. He will squeeze every ounce out of that guy, and so will Dave Rigetti at the big league level. I mean, they've. they've I fully had, expect they Hembry, have a track record yeah. of their pitchers get better. I fully expect Hembry to contribute in the big league bullpen in San Francisco in 2012. Um, and he might be in some high leverage situations, depending on the health of the the rather big league pitchers. Oh, I mean, Gary Brown's number one. Yeah, and and with Brown, he he's not. You know, it, it's interesting. They had moved some guys pretty quickly. Brandon Belt the year before moved very quickly. Right. Gary Brown, they moved on a much slower track. They basically left him in the Cal League all year last year. And the interesting thing about that is because of that. I would say, you know, he's what, probably a year, year and a half away still? Probably a year? I think probably a year, yeah. I think he's, Which they have a guy. They, they went out and got Melky Cabrera. I think he's going to be accelerated in 2012 myself. I think he'll start at double-A, and if he has the kind of success he did in A-ball, if he keeps hitting like that, I think he's going to be moved fairly quickly. But, but yeah, like you said, Melky Cabrera does buy them some time, certainly. But they, they do, so they do have an option where it's like there's no need to rush him. Right. But, but I, I do think he... They're, obviously, they're pointing towards him being a, a key part of them going forward because he can be that table setter type guy. Ideally, and I think the, the other interesting guy in their farm system is Tommy Joseph, just because obviously you have Posey, and Posey's the key to all of this for them. How he comes back from the ankle injury? Does he have to move positions? Um, you know, last year Pablo Sandoval was a good defensive third baseman according to the metrics and according to people who watched him. Um, that, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying he was a Gold Glover. I don't believe the metrics saying he was like the guy who saved the most runs at third base. I think that's but a little. He, but he clearly I, I, is I'll, I'll put it this way. There. Basically, with Pablo, you could kind of okay. 
does he look like one Pablo Sandoval or two Pablo That's Sandovals? Right. And if he's one Pablo Sandoval, he can be pretty decent defensively. Absolutely. But when you have Belt at first, you assume for the long term. You have Sandoval at third base, you assume for the long term. That, those are the most likely spots for Buster Posey to have moved if he can't catch. Um, I suppose he'd go to an outfield corner. I, was say, I, think, I do think he is, if you're saying which catcher could make the move to the outfield. Right. He's one of those who could because I don't think we know because it's an ankle right. injury. Now we so don't know if the, we do not know if the pre-injury. I would say he would have had no problem. We're I talking agree. about we're talking about an, a really athletic catcher. Was right. a shortstop. Was Guy a played pitcher. All nine positions you know, in his last regular season right. college game. I mean, he came to Florida State as a pitcher shortstop. I mean, this right. was not someone who, oh, you know, that guy's definitely a catcher. They saw something and thought he could be be a really great catcher, which they saw something right. They were right, but. What his calling card was was athleticism, not oh this guy's so slow, so you know, and, and the, strong the fra- arm. That the he phrase to- I got uh, from a scouting director last year was it's baseball athleticism. It's not like it's not Mike Stanton overwhelming athleticism, but it's baseball athleticism. He he he's sports specific. <laughs> he basically has uh, great baseball instincts and enough athleticism to do everything that he needs to do on a baseball uh, I'll put it this way. I like that phrase. Uh, I'll put it this way. As long as the ankle comes back somewhat okay. If Yonder Alonso can play left field in the big <laughs> leagues. Good way to put it. I mean, which we were just talking about Yonder Alonso. Nothing against Yonder Alonso. If Yonder Alonso can play it, Buster Posey can play it. Absolutely. No, I agree. But I think Tommy Joseph is a very nice hedge on the health of Buster Posey long term. Um, I think the Minnesota Twins wish they had a Tommy, Tommy Joseph. Because they don't have that hedge. They don't. Uh, they, they, Chris Herman is not as good of a hedge. And I like Chris Herman. They He's had not a, as hedge. Good of a hedge. They let's had be, a hedge. Let's be clear. They had a hedge. Wilson, they let him go. Tommy Joseph is an American Wilson Ramos. I think that's actually a pretty good comp. He doesn't control the strike zone. He's got power. He's got arm strength. You worry about the body and his long-term flexibility staying behind the plate. But I, I like Tommy Joseph. I think he's a pretty important prospect. Uh, and then they, you know they have other guys in their system who are pretty interesting. I mean they have a lot, they have three catchers in their top ten uh, with Joseph Susak and Hector Sanchez. There's some there's some lottery tickets in their farm system in eleven to twenty. The Giants are actually probably pushing the Rockies for me. If the Rockies hadn't made that trade, the Ubaldo trade, I probably would have taken the Giants farm system over the Rockies. And I think we agree. And you know we we like to use a joke around here, harkening back to eighties uh, Saturday Night Live, which we both. Reference to way too much, yeah. but Sulu, you let yourself go. That's you know? right. I mean, with the I Dodgers, think that's early nineties. I, I could be wrong. Yeah, it's maybe, late eighties. There's, there's a lot of big hair on the on the yeah, on the but, cast at that time. But uh, but with the Dodgers, what was once kind of one of the gold standards? I would say like two thousand three, four, five Dodgers farm system. That was the gold standard when they had that Jacksonville team, where we did a top ten just on the Jacksonville Suns, and we were too low on Matt Kemp. But I mean, that was a farm system. That was one it's of that, not that, that was, farm system anymore. To me, the Dodgers farm system at that time was the last farm system that was that that was just like elite before 2010 Royals. I would say the Dodgers were the best one of the, prior the, to last year's Royals farm system. But that, the, the, that's not the Dodgers right now. The ravages of the McCourt ownership have taken their toll the most on where the Dodgers have been. Well, they stick and, and to let's slot 100. percent yeah, Explain this. They don't spend money. Internationally, yeah. Even Zach Lee getting draft. that big bonus last year, but it was a below slot for the 2010 draft. It's spread out over five, five years. Five years, so you did not have to cut a big check, which 
was good because it the bounced. McCourt, you know, the <laughs> Frank McCourt did not have the check to cut. He would have had to sell a house to pay exactly. You know, so and he wasn't going to sell one of those seven houses or whatever but, it was. But you you look at it and. I mean, again, you, you, this is one of those cases where you see what's happened. Yeah. It's not something where you go, oh, man, they've just drafted terribly and look where they got. Where they've gotten to is that... Oh, they, didn't, they, they did have a couple drafts. They've had some bad drafts. No, I'm not, just say, I'm not saying they have it. But there is the spending a lot of money in drafting poorly approach. Right. Like we just talked about Tyler Matzik. Right. If Tyler Matzik doesn't turn it back around... Again, I wouldn't say they drafted poorly there, but yes, where you spend a lot of money and it doesn't work out. That's that's the Rockies issue. That is not the Dodgers issue. The Dodgers issue is if you don't spend money, and especially on they have a very good they've had a very good international program. Historically. Historically. I mean you can pay, Pedro Martinez, Ramon yes, Martinez. I mean you exactly. can you know seventy two shortstops that I could name. Right. You know, Henry Rodriguez. And, you know, but you could <laughs> they've always had that. What they are reduced to now is basically they shop if there are some teams that shop at you know the you know Saks Fifth Avenue right and there are a lot of teams that shop at the Walmart they're at the Dollar General yeah, they are I mean they're basically going what are the returns what are the you know the overstocks that we can they're looking for okay here's the 19 year old that everyone's overlooked right. because they're looking at 16 year olds my favorite prospect in the Dodgers organization not because of his upside but my favorite story is Angel Sanchez their right hander who was at Great Lakes this year who was signed out of a Dominican college. The Dominican college, I talk about a, a, a demographic that you just don't see in the handbook too often. Uh, we had a Puerto Rican junior college player drafted this year, I believe by the Royals, right? Left-hander? Yeah. It's like their sixth or seventh round pick. Yeah. That was a first. I didn't remember a Puerto Rican junior college player, like a, from a junior college in Puerto Rico. Um, but this is a Dominican college player who signed for 7500 bucks. And had a very which, nice year. Which is probably among the higher mounts that uh, the Dodgers. Right, because I think did. it's more than Alfredo Silverio, who's their top position player prospect. I think I thought that he signed for $5,000 for the Dodgers. And Ruby De La Rosa was a $15,000 That's what I'm saying. They, now, again, I they have we're... such a good – they have good scouts down there. Oh, yeah. They've we're done not, a great job. They've done a great job because – And domestically, too. I mean, D. Gordon, nobody else was on D. Gordon. They got him in the fifth Same. round out of a NCCAA school, which is a national – Christian College Athletic Association. I think he went to that school for a year, then to a junior college and didn't, and didn't play. play. Here. Yeah. Right. And then you had Jerry Sands and Alan Webster, who I think, you know, Lon Joyce was the yep. scout for both of them. And I think combined, were their, last year they were two of their top ten prospects, and combined I think it was $25,000. Something like that. And Webster ranks uh, second. But thank goodness for Jim Schoenard, who did the Dodgers' top 30, that Nadia Valdi was still available, still eligible, that Josh Limbaum was it's, still eligible. It's a lot of pitchers. That's what it yeah. is. There's, the position player wise, there's not much left in the system, but there there are some interesting pitchers still. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that he made it. Uh, I think we actually considered ranking Justin Sellers in their top thirty. No, he did not make it. But I mean, like, you can tell their farm system is thin when they drafted Jake Lumberman out of Duke, who was a nice find in the fifth round, had a great debut, and last year they're so thin on farm uh, on middle infielders, they they moved him all the way to Double A. And he was not ready for that. And yeah, he's a nice little role player, extra guy at the big league level eventually. But guys like Yvonne De Jesus have dropped off. Uh, but like trading uh, for call and getting Alex Castellanos. Alex Castellanos would have been a back of the top 30 guy, maybe at best, in the Cardinals system. He's number 18, 19 for the Dodgers. He's a nice, he's a nice little sleeper. But yeah, position player wise, the Dodgers are really, in, they're really hurting. And the fact that they don't spend in Latin America or the draft, JJ, just kind of kills them. Speaking of 
transitioning here now that we've done the uh, West, but speaking of, speaking of a team that does spend, especially internationally. Yes, good so, transition. You Darvish, you know, we have – it's not signed, but we do know who won the post. I mean, right. the Rangers won the, the bid. By, a, by by some reports, by a slim margin over the Blue Jays. By but other it appears reports, like more reports are coming large, out by a large, large margin. margin. Like $30 million. Which, now, uh, I ask you, so what, I mean, do you think, I, you assume it's going to take another 50 or so to probably sign Darvish? Yeah, I mean, it's not that they're going to sign him for $25 million, which would be, you know, basically what, uh, you know, what, what, they, what they, they didn't sign C.J. Wilson for. I mean, you're talking about giving this guy probably $70 million, uh, which is what C.J. Wilson actually got. <laughs> On top of the $51 million you already paid him, you're looking at a $120 million investment but you know what? for you, Darvish. Now, there's some risk there because we've I seen this. there's a lot this. of risk there. There's, we've seen this. I mean, there are the, the track record of Japanese pitchers, there have not been many who've come along and had consistent success. Yes, yeah, sustained success. success. Yes. Sustained success, no. I mean, that's the big issue is that – to me, the biggest question about any pitcher from any foreign league, Cuba, Japan, whatever, is the grind. Uh, it's eaten up a lot of pitchers. Even El Duque, who's the best foreign pitcher, Japan, Cuba, wherever, Korea, the best guy out of all those guys is El Duque for me. Um, he had the longest run of sustained big league success. And even he, I don't think he ever pitched 200 innings in a big league season. The guy um, who's who's been able to pitch. The, the guy's been able to didn't have the peak of. But the guy. I'm, I'm saying El Duque over Levon. No, I know. I'm saying, okay. but the, the guy who has shown that he can handle the grind is he's not great. But but Levon Hernandez like soaks up innings as if Apparently like that's the way to handle the grind is, is, is to be is, enormous is, is, and to throw 83. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. I'm still taking El Duque as no, the I'm best. No, and I'm not even arguing that. But I'm saying, like, but when you talk about the but grind, yeah, Levon is that's a great example. Levon, Levon eats innings like he's, he's hamburgers. Pitched, I, I bet mean. you he's pitched the most innings in the last 20 years of any major leaguer who's come from Cuba's league or uh, Korea or NPB, upon professional baseball. But so that's that's so, my issue still so that's, with Darvin. That's, that's, so that's the rolling the dice. At the same time, if you look at the stuff, if you look at the age, if you look at the frame, you add it all up. He is, he is the best. I, I would argue he's the best available pitcher on the market this year, as far as that. Now, from a pure scouting standpoint, now again, I agree with you. There are risks there because we have to see. It's easier. The the way the I've heard multiple ways to describe, but one of the ways I've heard described pitching in Japan is is it's somewhat still go back to pitching in the U.S. back in the thirties and team, you know, major back, leagues, right? And back in the time where. The idea was, okay, I got to bear down on this guy. Right. Okay, right. this guy, I can just rear back and throw. Okay, this guy, no, I got to really bear down. I got to give him my best stuff because right. this guy can hurt me. Not everyone in the lineup can hurt you. They're not. That's one of the things I've heard. Well, yeah, I think that's a fair characterization of it. But that being said, if you compare stuff, if you compare age, you know, if you're gonna roll the dice, they're rolling the dice with the guy who, at the end of this contract, whatever it is, won't be that old. Right, but he's an old 25. Right. I mean, I'm sorry, he's, he's an old like, 25. All these Japanese pitchers have more mileage on them at 25 they do. than American guys do, with rare exceptions, because they're not handled They're handled a completely different way, and especially as amateurs. For example, Suyoshi Wada, the left-hander who signed with the Orioles. 
476 strikeouts on a college season. I mean, how, how many pitches did Tsuyoshi Wada throw? Now, he's held up. He came to the United States as a pure free agent, did not have to go through the posting system. I think he's 31 years old. I wrote about Tsuyoshi Wada pitching against Team USA college national team, and I wrote about him throwing 183 pitches in a game against Team USA and then pitching on three days rest. And he, he made it through. I'm just saying that you Darvish, he's 25. I guess I'll be 26 for next season. I don't think you can. I don't think that's really that big of a factor. To be completely honest with you, he's going. I think it will help him make the transition. But in terms of projecting him long term, I don't think you yeah, can treat him like a normal 25 year old. Um, just like for reasons you said, he's had a high pitch count. He's been worked harder. He's been worked once a week. His usage is going to change completely, and I think it's very difficult to predict how he will adjust. No, but I think in the short true. term, he's going to be very, very good. I think he'll be better than Dice K or Hiroki Kuroda or even Jose Contreras to make a cross comp but to a I'll, Cuban. I'll throw it out there. That one of the things that you know, at least I've seen floated out there is, is if you're the Rangers, do you consider a six-man rotation? I did see that floated. I think it will help him that the Rangers, under Nolan Ryan, are a more open-minded organization he'll for get throwing throw. programs, training programs. I think the Rangers will probably let him train the way you Darvish wants to train, which was a significant source of friction between the Red Sox and Daisuke Matsuzaka. And the other thing with that is is that the Rangers, they, as much as you can know what you're getting with the Japanese pitcher, they have, they've been on you Darvish for a while. There's That's, a lot of information there. I, I think it's likely that the Red Sox scouted Daisuke Matsuzaka just as heavily. No, I, and, and in terms of being there and also just the amount of video that's available of these players, I think we know a lot more about Japanese pitchers than we knew about Cuban pitchers when they come over, for example. But you, Darvish, he's a better prospect at the same age than and the same stage of coming over to the United States than Daisuke Matsuzaka was. I don't think there's a question about that. Is he better than, say, an Aroldis Chapman was or a Jose Contreras or even a Levon Hernandez? I, was gonna I, say, I don't, I would I don't put think he's Levon, better than Levon. I, I was going to say, I put Levon at a different level than, say, like a role as Chapman. Cause the he was thing, 21 years old. But the, the thing with Chapman, though, is, is that Chapman, you are essentially, like with a Chapman, you are signing a prospect. Right. He You're was not, a prospect. He was not a polished prospect. He was, he was not someone who you say. Compared to Levon. Right. Levon Hernandez and with you, Darvish, you are signing a guy not as a prospect. You're signing a guy who basically, let's be honest, with the money they're giving him, He's the number one in the Rangers. I mean, he's their ace. Right, right. Levon Hernandez was like, I think he spent half of his first year in the United States in Double A before he came to the Which big Which was almost like big... an acclimation thing as much as. It was. I mean, he, well, he was 21 years yeah. old. But, I mean, like, he wasn't, he wasn't the stud for Cuba in 1996. He was one of many. Right. And it's amazing now that Cuba really has no pitchers like that. But, uh, but Japan still does. But Darvish stood out even when. All the pitching numbers were great in Japan because offense was so far down there, and we had a nice story on that from our Tim Edenoff, one of our interns uh, here at Baseball America, right now our only intern. Uh, but Tim did a great job on this story explaining how offense was so far down in Japan this year because of lighting standards and a different uh, ball they used. Uh, but Darvish's numbers still stood out, and he was clearly the best pitcher before. He was he was the best pitcher and the guy who's the most Western pitcher. I think that helps as well. He's Western in terms of his size in terms of his parents met in the United States, he's multicultural. I, I and, think he's and, the and most in, Western and, guy. And in terms, I mean, let's be honest. And, and also, his delivery. His, his delivery right. and his stuff. I mean, that, I think those things will help. He is not, he does not pitch backwards. 
as much as many Japanese pitchers do. I think that that change in the ball and in the offensive nature in Japan this year, that was perfect timing because the scouts that Tim talked to said that he pitched more off the fastball in 2011 than he had in previous years, in part because he and, knew he could miss with a fastball and get away with it because of the ball. And and that I just was, think that's helped that's him. Been, like, if you want to, like, there are many things you can talk about with why Matsuzaka has not had sustained success like he like he was expected to. Right. But one of the ones you have to come back to is is that he has been a nibbler. Absolutely. In the U.S., he's never. It does not appear that he's ever really trusted his stuff as much as he should. Right, and we'll see. But that's the scouts that we've talked to, whether it's uh, you know us or Tim or whomever, because we had Darvish number one in our WBC top ten a couple of years ago. I guess it was a top twenty, but uh, n- none of those guys expect him to nibble or, or pitch as backwards as Matsuzaka did to pitch so much off your off speed stuff. I do kind of worry from time to time about the guy with the six. Uh, Six or seven pitches, but there has been, thankfully, no talk of the gyro ball with you, Darvish. He doesn't rely on trickeration, and Matsuzaka shouldn't have, and uh, he did to his detriment, and I don't think you, Darvish, will. So to me, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I expect him to have a lot of success in the short term. I still think the adjustment to the United States is going to be a big deal to see whether he can hold up over the long term. But I like Texas's chances of, you know, they 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 got C.J. Wilson converted from reliever to starter, and he became a workhorse at, instantly. Alexio Gondo basically went from Dominican Summer League and Winter Ball to Big League starter uh, instantly. And, yes, he faded as the season went on, but he still had quality stuff to help them in the postseason out of the bullpen. So they have and, options. And, they have, and, again, they also they have Neftali Feliz. Who... And I expect that transition to work well as well. I don't so, know that I mean... he'll be as dominant as a starter, as I, he was the a time I worry, in the bullpen. The, the, the only thing I worry about with Feliz, it, well, there's two things. I mean, the, he's not had to rely that much on secondary stuff right. out of the bullpen. But more than that, as a closer, you can be, you know, location doesn't matter as much, and that's been a problem for him at times. At the same time, he does have the stuff that he doesn't have to be precise. He right. just needs to be close. He needs to throw strikes. He can get away without throwing tons of quality strikes. Really? I, I put. I know one of them's right-handed and one of them's left-handed, but you know the Reds are also talking about a role as Chapman's going to be a starter this year. Yeah, it's pretty similar. I, I think they're very similar from the standpoint of you're talking about two guys so. with dominating fastballs who secondary stuff comes and goes. They're both pitching. I mean, Chapman's going to pitch with an eight fastball as a starter. I mean, he's going to pitch at 94 to 97 and higher as a starter. Mm-hmm. Feliz and with the might... ability to reach back and you know right. for a pitch, hey, I can give you ninety nine. Yeah, or a hundred. Or hundred. You know, yeah. uh, maybe he, even as a star, maybe he can still reach back and give you that one hundred three, one hundred four. That was once doubted. Um, but yeah, I mean, Neftali Feliz, I think he's going to pitch with an eight fastball in terms of velocity. The control grades for both those guys really just have to be fives. You know, if they can just have yeah, average control, but that's it. And I think that Neftali Feliz probably pitched with like four control. In the out of the bullpen, and then the question and like becomes: wild, Okay, yeah, he can't do that. That was a, a four out of the bullpen needing. Okay, for one inning, does that get better or does that get worse? You can argue both ways. Do you stop overthrowing a little bit, which helps it get better, or do you, by the fourth inning, your mechanics get a little bit more out of whack? You're a little right. more fatigued, and it gets worse. I don't think he has like a terrible delivery. I don't think he has. I think he has the physique, the the, the build to be a durable. Guy, and I think that it helps that C.J. Wilson, they've already done that with C.J. Wilson. And let's face it, they took a Japanese, a pitcher from Japan, 
on that 140-game workload in Colby Lewis, and he's been durable in the major league. So there are a lot of indicators that show you that Texas probably is not just the it's team that spent place. the most on you, Darvish, but is a place where you, Darvish, should have success, is most likely to have success, and where it's most likely to take a guy like Neftali Feliz and make him a successful starter. There are positive indicators there. I think they understand pitching better than most organizations. And if they can pull that off, if, if that's, they, that's a devastating tandem. Because the thing about it is, is that what you just hit on, they have the thing that they have going for them is, is that yes, they're going to spend if they sign you Darvish, they're going to spend a ton of money on him. Yeah, but the, all their eggs are not in that basket. I agree. If it's he doesn't, long. if he falters this year, that doesn't mean well. Okay, then the plans have all fallen apart. This is them. a pretty intriguing rotation of a Darvish, Feliz, Holland, Harrison, Lewis. Those and pieces that, by the fit. Way, That's a lot of power. And by the way, as you just right mentioned, left. Ogando is the sixth option. Ogando's the swing guy. I, I think Ogando goes to the bullpen. He could be your closer. You could, he could just swap, really, with, with Feliz, uh, theoretically. But I, I know they have Joe Nathan also in that mix, but that's power arms, right, left. Then you have a, a, a durable touch-feel command right-hander and Colby Lewis in the middle. You have postseason experience. There's a lot of upside to that, so... Albert Pujols and you, or by not. the way, and they also have, they still, if they need, if they find they have a hole in midseason and need to do something, they, they have, have the one system. of the best farm systems in baseball to fix it. We'll be talking about that in the new year as we ring in the, the new year with American League podcast, JJ, and like I said, uh, some amateur podcasts as well. But, uh, yeah, I think the Rangers are the most logical landing spot for Darvish. I think the, they have a very good chance of both Feliz and Darvish having at least short-term success. And back-to-back American League pennants, uh, getting Darvish, having those kind of power arms, that kind of potential in the rotation, and the best farm system in the American League for sure, if not the entire major leagues, but, uh, a pretty good time to be a Rangers fan. By the way, two to before we wrap up, two interesting things with this. One, the Blue Jays apparently were, it seems like we're number two in the bidding for Darvish. May have been many, many, many millions behind. Right. But, which, if you're the Blue Jays, that's not, not all bad. Again, you get a little your name out again that you were really trying to do things. Sure, absolutely. Never a bad thing. The interesting thing, though, is is that we've gone through, we are, at this point, I would say, I know we aren't time-wise, but chronologically, but as far as moves, we're about at least three-fourths of the way through the offseason. Feels like it, yeah. There's not. Most of the big shoes Most of the dropped. big stuff, you know, has happened now. We yep. still have Prince Fielder hanging out there, but, but most everything else. Yeah, who's the best pitcher left on the market? Like Ryan Madsen, because he's a, a really good relief pitcher? I mean, I, I mean, like. Yeah. And now that John Danks has been locked up to a. Probably too rich contract, but uh, there's not a whole lot of even great trade candidates. I so, guess Gio Gonzalez is like the big trade name available. So most of the moves have been made. The interesting thing about this is is we've had an offseason. The Yankees have been... And they may have been third in the U Darvish thing. I guess their bid was reported around $20 million. So they were clearly interested. But that bid, I mean, like, they, I wonder how high they might have gone if they had, had even just one good year out of Kiyigawa, who's finally out of their system. Um I mean, because Japan, they're one for three. Uh, Hideki Matsui was worth it. Hideki Arabu, not worth it. And Kiyigawa, one of the worst contracts of all time. Yes. Um, $46 million, basically, so, between the post and the contract for Scranton's all-time wins leader. Um, I, I guess that's a, because of the money involved, that's a worse contract but, than even Andrew Brackman. But you look at it and you go, okay, is that like that there is a, a limit even for them or, you know, because it is interesting. We've had an off season where 
the Red Sox and the Yankees normally are the teams that, you know, at some point make one of those moves where everyone, you know, right. goes, oh, look, you know. The you splash know, move, yeah. The splash move. And now we're going through an offseason, obviously both a little bit, you know, like in the Red Sox case, they were burned by doing that last yeah, year. Yeah, no so doubt. Maybe that's why, or maybe it's the, you know, offseason also. they. I know other people, somebody else, so I, I saw a blog about this, but one, what we could have done, uh, maybe if we're here next week, maybe we'll throw in an amnesty podcast. We had had we have had the baseball uh, amnesty. If a baseball had the NBA contract amnesty, who would you amnesty? The Red Sox would be a very difficult decision between Carl Crawford and John Lackey, I have to imagine. Who would you, whom would you amnesty? To me, uh, to me, I'm, 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 especially with the injury now, I'm probably saying, okay, John Lackey. See, I think I would, I still think I would say Carl Crawford. I think it's easier for a pitcher to come back from Tommy John than for Carl Crawford with that yeah, swing you could argue, and that contract. You could argue with Lackey. The, the, the good news you can say is, is that, well, at least, hey, being hurt is actually a good thing here. Yeah, and I, I would amnesty Carl Crawford and take that contract and say, Jacoby Ellsbury, please, here, here's the money that we gave to Carl Crawford that we should be paying you. Um, that would be a fun podcast. We don't have time to delve, delve into all that, but teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Angels even have so many bad contracts. I guess the Angels is just Vernon Wells, and that's it. You really just end the conversation there. Yeah, I was uh, but the Yankees, you're, you're, I mean, like, have so many bad contracts. But, but, but that could be a fun which, podcast. Like, like Vernon Wells, so where does he fit in the 2012? Angels? Understand, Peter Gammons addressed it. But, no, I mean, I don't think Peter just mentioned Vernon Wells' name in passing in his uh, Pujols signing contract uh, column and – he just basically said Vernon Wells has to produce. Well, like, yeah, for whom? I mean, I, I don't see why you don't just eat that contract and just cut him. I mean, because Mike Trout's better, Peter Borges is better, Torrey Hunter's better. Two of those guys are cheap. And by the way, and, and you Mike also Trout have, needs to play right now at least. Oh, okay. Well, well, we, we maybe we can move him to DH. Oh wait, but we've got Trumbo and, and, and Abreu and Trumbo Morales and Abreu. That's it. Those guys need to play. Yeah, you can't play Vernon Wells at DH. Maybe Vernon Wells is the kind of poison pill you try to give someone else so you don't have to get a prospect back. But you can have Mark Trumbo, but you're going to have to take Vernon Wells too. I'm I don't think anybody's Mark taking Trumbo him. to get Vernon Wells. I'm not that, – that, that is something I'm not – There are other first basemen you can get, as we talked right. about earlier in the podcast. I mean, again. There are not that many general managers left who will take Vernon Wells, including Tony Regans, who made that I mean, Maybe there is, but it's something where you're fielding so much of that contract that – I mean, he used to be thought of as a, a guy that the Rangers used to want to target because he's from that area, but that's I not happening. Think, Rangers think. have clearly shown they're a little bit smarter than that. <laughs> I was going to say. I don't want to end the podcast on, on Vernon Wells' note, a contract well, amnesty, but he's the most obvious contract amnesty, I think, in the game. Yeah. I, I, you know, we, I, Him or Alex Rios, both contracts signed by J.P. Ricciardi, so uh, that'd be fun to have J.P. And both as a somehow guest. the Blue Jays managed to get rid of. Yes, much to Alex Anthopoulos' credit. Speaking of the Blue Jays, they are going to be in the next podcast we do on a top ten. That's an American League East podcast. So we still have three issues of top tens to go. I think some of our digital edition subscribers have already received their American League East issue. By the way, the digital edition is now available. The new digital edition brings you the magazine on the go. You're no longer waiting by the mailbox for the latest issue of Baseball America to to arrive. Every two weeks you'll be notified by email that a new digital edition is available. Visit BaseballAmerica.com slash subscribe and get in for as low as $1.76 an issue. That's the Baseball America Digital Edition. So, JJ, yeah. you'll be checking it out over the holidays yes, when uh, you're traveling. Um, you know, with the, with the, the Disney World experience and all that. So uh, have, a great, uh, have a holly jolly Christmas and a Merry New Year. If I don't talk to you uh, before the New Year, 
I may be back next week at a contract amnesty podcast. I'm, I'm mulling that over my head of me and Ben Babler doing a contract amnesty podcast. That could be fun. For J.J. Cooper, I am John Manuel. Thanks for downloading the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.